Welcome to the third episode of the UC Davis Bioethics Podcast Series. This is Sam Yamshan, your host. What follows is a real case seen on the teaching service at the UC Davis Hospital. This case is presented by Jeremy Johnson and Christina Lee, both third-year medical students, with expert commentary from Dr. Ben Rich, one of our bioethics faculty at UC Davis. I hope that you find this series valuable and that it informs your patient care in the future. A 34-year-old Spanish-speaking-only undocumented immigrant with history of morbid obesity and obstructive sleep apnea presents with hypercarbic respiratory distress associated with enlarged tonsils that severely obstruct his airway and is found to have obesity hypoventilation syndrome. The patient has been hospitalized four times previously for severe obstructive sleep apnea and obesity hypoventilation syndrome. Pulmonology sees the patient and recommends that he undergo a tonsillectomy and tracheostomy. However, the patient is undocumented and lacks the health insurance to pay for the tracheostomy supplies or a needed BiPAP machine. As a result, the patient is currently being kept inpatient so that he can use BiPAP at night in-house and is awaiting insurance coverage for home BiPAP. The patient repeatedly requests to go home as he is the sole financial provider for his family. However, the team feels it is unsafe to send him home without a positive airway pressure apparatus given his significant hypercapnia and repeated episodes of respiratory distress resulting in multiple hospitalizations as well as ICU admissions. He has had two motor vehicle collisions due to falling asleep at the wheel secondary to his condition and has therefore been reported to the DMV. If the patient requests to leave AMA against medical advice, what should the team do? An important ethical consideration to consider is the danger that he would pose to self and others if he was discharged. He could potentially experience complications related to untreated apnea and even die. Although he states he will not drive, given his history of falling asleep at the wheel, he could also get into a motor vehicle collision and harm someone else. Another element to consider is that his language barrier may be impeding his ability to completely comprehend his condition and the gravity of the risks of leaving against medical advice. However, he is also the sole provider of his family and cannot work or could potentially lose his job while staying in the hospital. This should be especially considered in light that the job security is more tenuous with undocumented status. By keeping him here, we are potentially saving his life, but ruining his livelihood. This is Ben Rich, Emeritus Professor of Bioethics at UC Davis and I'm going to provide commentary on this case from an ethical perspective. This case presents a multiplicity of ethical, legal, and practical considerations. One approach to taking each of these into consideration is by utilizing the four-part analytic matrix that includes medical indications, patient preferences, quality of life factors, and contextual features. Let's begin with the medical indications because these are actually the most straightforward. The patient's diagnosis is clear, as is the recommended treatment. There's no indication that the patient disputes either of these or would necessarily refuse them if he had health insurance to cover the costs. Similarly, there are no apparent controversies as to whether the recommended treatment would ultimately improve the patient's quality of life. However, a comprehensive ethical analysis of the case would require additional information about the anticipated level of function once the patient were to achieve 
maximum medical improvement following treatment. In assessing quality of life, it is important to recognize the many non-clinical factors which contribute to this, both positively and negatively, and to do so from the patient's perspective. Physicians are not merely or even primarily treating conditions, they are caring for persons. When considering patient preferences, both decisional capacity and the adequacy of information disclosure are important. As a matter of law and ethics, adult patients are presumed to possess decisional capacity and the ability to adequately assess the benefits and burdens of treatment once they've been provided with the relevant medical information. A non-English speaking hospital patient must be provided with a translator in order to facilitate effective communications with the healthcare professionals participating in his care. Language barriers alone cannot be a legitimate basis upon which to question the patient's decisional capacity. In the absence of clear and convincing clinical evidence that the patient lacks decisional capacity, the legal presumption of capacity cannot be overcome. Particularly in contemporary American society, adults are at liberty to assume the risks to themselves posed by conduct that others might perceive as unreasonable under the circumstances, including refusing medically necessary or recommended treatment. In doing so, they may not create a real and immediate risk of harm to others. However, because of our societal emphasis on individual liberty, those risks must be more than mere possibilities in order to justify curtailing an individual's right to self-determination. In this case, the patient's concern about losing his job and hence the ability to support his family is a real and significant contextual feature of the case. The patient's expressed wish to leave the hospital AMA might well constitute a reasonable weighing of the risks and benefits involved. The fact that he has previously fallen asleep at the wheel does not necessarily provide the basis to infer or presume an imminent risk that he will do so again. Addressing this concern may involve drawing upon social services resources to identify ways in which the patient can get to and from work without driving, such as by utilizing public transportation or carpooling. Much has been made in other clinical settings, including psychiatry and pain medicine, of the role of patient contracts in enhancing the likelihood of adherence to a plan of care, and might be considered here as well with regard to concerns about the patient operating a motor vehicle. The overriding contextual features of this case are the patient's undocumented status and lack of either insurance coverage or personal financial resources to cover the costs of treatment. Interestingly, despite these features, this patient has been hospitalized on multiple occasions at considerable expense to the healthcare system. The history raises the interesting practical question whether providing the patient on a temporary loaner basis with a BiPAP device he might use at home would ultimately be the most cost-effective approach to the immediate problem. Alternatively, the patient could, at least in theory, be allowed to spend nights only in the hospital for purposes of utilizing BiPAP while continuing to work and discharge other family responsibilities during the day.
It is perhaps both an ethical and pragmatic flaw in our current healthcare system that such outside-the-box approaches are so rarely given serious consideration. In order for all of the stakeholders to fully explore the available options and reach an agreed-upon approach that takes into account these four components of the analytic matrix, a care conference should be convened, including at a minimum the patient, the patient's spouse, and key members of the clinical care team, including someone from social services. All practical means of accommodating the medical needs and the practical concerns of the patient should be explored, including those that might be characterized as outside the box. There are several key learning points from this case. First is that language barriers are not sufficient to question a patient's decisional capacity. In addition, patient contracts can enhance adherence to a plan of care even outside of their traditional use in a pain contract. Importantly, outside-the-box plans can improve patient care in complicated cases. If you have any feedback or additional thoughts about this case or case commentary, please feel free to email me, Sam Yamshan, at sjyamshan at ucdavis.edu. That's s-j-y-a-m-s-h-o-n at ucdavis.edu. Looking forward to seeing you next episode. Thanks for listening.